Bonjour and welcome to this week's French Football Weekly podcast. I am your host, Chris, and as I uh, unfortunately shared before the pod, I am currently rather sweaty. Less said about that, the better. Uh, instead, I shall introduce my guest. I've only been to the gym. It's nothing dodgy. Uh, first of all, it is the lady of the hour. It's Phil. Good evening, Phil. Good evening. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Oh, commercial love day. You can't beat it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and my, uh, the, my, my French love affair stretches to these two gentlemen as well. Uh, first of all, welcome back, Mr. Rich Allen. Thank you. Hello. And Mr. Jeremy Smith. Hello, Jez. Hello. Happy Pancake Day. <laughs> Even better. like it. <laughs> love pancakes. Uh, welcome back to all of our listeners. Apologies for last week. Scheduling and whatnot uh, sometimes gets in the way of, of life and all the things that go before it. So uh, apologies if you missed us. But here we are once again to talk some Liga football. Uh, we shall waste no time then and uh, give you a full rundown of what happened before we pick out some of the results to drill down into. So, Loic and Kifu, last weekend then. Uh, we've got two games that we're going to focus on uh, on the Friday and Saturday. So, skipping over those, we'll go straight to Angers, <coughs> Monaco 4. Uh, good result that, obviously, for Jardim's men. Uh, comfortable victory. Two goals for Stefan Jovetic. Andrea Raggi also getting on the score sheet there, as well as an own goal from Boutel. So, good result that for Monaco. Uh, also on the same day in the evening kickoffs, Bordeaux with a 3-2 thriller over Amiens. Uh, five goals in a Bordeaux game. Whatever next. Uh, Kunje, Laraja and Francois Cabano. Good to see him back on the score sheet before two late replies from Mendoza and Kakuta proving not to be enough for Amiens. Uh, 3-2 thriller also in Dijon uh, who beat the challenge of Nice despite being at ha- behind at one point. Julio Tavares putting Dijon in front for Elise Malou and Alessand Player putting these two one up for Tavares' penalty and Kwong Chang Hun, who, if you haven't or if you don't follow Dijon on Instagram, some lovely little pictures of him and his um, his South Korean fan base in the crowd. So do look those up if you fancy it. Uh, Gangon Pankan, nil nil. Let's move on. Mets nil, Montpellier won. Uh, good result uh, in the, the Phil Jez derby there for Montpellier. Uh, Giovanni Siu with the 24th minute winner away from home. And on the Sunday fixtures, Strasbourg winning 2-1 against Troyes. Uh, another good good result for the home side there. Alou and Bayak with the girls there. Nia with the late reply for Troyes. Uh, uh, Aholu's oh, a goal is absolutely yes. lovely. Yeah, that seek that one out. It's It's a nice one. It is, yes. That's a, that's well interrupted. That's a very good point not to miss. <laughs> um, and uh, Nantes and Lille, they shared the point um, as they played out a 2-2 draw. Uh, two goals for Salah, sandwiched by uh, Busiba and Nicolas Pepe with the late equaliser in the last 10 minutes for Lille. Uh, which, of course, leaves us with our usual three games. So we're going to start with the Friday evening game. Uh, Rich, on your return, I'm going to point the microphone your way. Uh, St Etienne 2, Marseille 2. First of all, two goals at home for St Etienne. Uh, the apocalypse is, is due. Um, another good result sort of on the road for Marseille. Or is it? Do you think that they would be looking at this and thinking that's points dropped given their push for potentially second in the table? Uh, yeah, I think they would. Um, I think although Saint-Étienne seem to be uh, improving, they're still nowhere near as uh, at the level that they, they should be and that we expect them to be at. Um, what I think from this game, well, two things I think to take from this game. One, I think it showed some pretty good resolve um, from Saint-Étienne and a bit of solidity from 
uh, what's been a disappointing season so far to have come come back from a goal behind twice. Um, I think shows a little bit of steel. Maybe has returned to the side. Um, still far from perfect, but um, certainly with Berich uh, coming on up front, he added a little bit of directness that they've perhaps missed um, in the striking department. Uh, the other thing I think we take from this game is that you know Marseille are going to absolutely rue um, two, I think, real uh, clangers at the end, really. One's a clanger, one's a, an amazing piece of goalkeeping. But um, Mitroglou, the um, ill-fated striker, missing an absolute sitter at two all late in the game. Ball comes over the top. He spends an eternity looking up and down the line. Am I onside? Am I offside? Before incredibly... I mean, he's only about four yards out. Um, before awkwardly sort of twisting his left foot and ended up poking it way over the bar. I don't quite know how he got that trajectory on it, considering how near the goal he was. But um, it, it's another sitter missed from him. Um, I mean, they're really, really starting to rack up now. And then Tovan, um, really late in the game, had an excellent chance to see it, but really, really well saved from Ruffier. So it's a game, I think, that Marseille could end up ruining, not taking those points. It's one, I think, that... Bearing in mind their current form, um, I think they should have uh, should have been looking at taking all three points here. Um, and I think also, perhaps as a third takeaway from the game, um, no matter how well Tovan is playing, no matter how things seem to be imp- improving going forwards, they're still susceptible to, to conceding sloppy, easy goals. Um, I'm, ama- I'm still amazed that the defence wasn't looked at in more detail in the January transfer window. I thought they, they need at the, needed at the very least um, one centre-back, arguably one full-back, be it a right-back or a left-back. Um, neither of those areas were addressed. And I think, looking at the, 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 the squads that, that Leon and, and especially Monaco have, not addressing that defence highlighted in this game could potentially be their downfall for finishing second. Whereas you, you look at the the window that Saint Etienne had, and we're going to have a an article up on Saint Etienne's kind of slight revival. Things are looking positive there. Uh, we're going to have that up on Friday from uh, Connor Ketley, one of our new writers. <clears throat> they've obviously they brought in Nevin Sabotic. Um, Matthew Debushi has also come in at the back. He's already scored. Got Ntepu scored, and then Beric who's come back. Uh, I think come back from the loan did he um so he's yeah. already got a couple of goals after the kind of weird situation between Garcia leaving them sorting out who the manager is having the window they seem to have done some good business there to try to to steady the ship and that seems to be you know bearing fruit already and it's going to be interesting to see how how that goes going forward yeah, I, I wanted to. I did want to focus a little bit on Saint Etienne and um, Jez. I'll get your thoughts. Since uh, Jean Louis Gasset has come in to Saint Etienne, uh, sort of late December, I think it was. He, he took the reins. Is is it has it just been as simple as a, a fresh broom sweeping through? Because there's still this issue of of the owners and and what their ceiling limit is. I mean, this pe- people who may be new to French football may not know just how big a club this is and. You know, I would hope they would know this because it's obviously there for history to to be read. But 
they are a, a massive club and, and surely they've got to be looking to push on from this situation where they're in. And is this, is it the right coach? Is it the right sort of squad? Are they going about it the right way to, to kick back into being one of the French football's biggest clubs, if not biggest, at least back into Europe? I think they're, they're certainly going the right way about um, saving their season and avoiding relegation. Um, you know, Gasset has sort of been there, done that, certainly no nonsense. I mean, just, just to look at him, I'm not sure you'd, you'd, you'd want to sort of rub him up the wrong way at all. So I think he's certainly providing a bit more stability, which, um, you know, Sable, as, as good a guy as he seems, probably didn't have. Um, Garcia, I think, probably just realised quite early on that um, they really weren't a good fit. Um, so I think he certainly steadied the ship. Um, and the, the signings they've made are extremely canny, again, for... Um, for the rest of the season and in order to, to sort of fight off relegation and you know because things are so close a very very slim outside chance of making Europe although I, I, I doubt that I mean they're, they're mostly sort of gambles but um, you know pretty safe gambles I mean you, you could probably tell us more about Tabushi than others but I always thought he was a little bit badly treated at Arsenal I don't think he did too yeah. much to, to deserve to be completely ostracized yeah. Subotic I think the problem is just injuries but you know I don't think anyone doubts that he's an excellent player who you know got Champions League final experience um, you know really good um, person to have around and you know Subotic Perra um, centre-back mm. pairing at both at their best. You, there's not much better than that in, in the rest of Liga. Um, further forward, Bamber has kind of, um, I think, refound the form that he had in the first month or so before he sort of had contract issues and went off the boil a bit. Hamuma, um, you look at the, the, the way he set up Saint-Étienne's first goal at the weekend, the way he sort of flicked it past Rami, which, okay, all the four of us could do as well, but um, he did do it in a very nice way, um, kind of suggests that he's getting back to his best as well. And, yeah, Berich, I mean, you know, the fact that they sent him on loan suggests that they're not such huge fans of his, but I think it's important for, for them to have a sort of central focal point there. Mm. So things are working out there for the rest of the season, but you know, Gasset and the players they brought in, I'm, I'm not absolutely convinced that they're the people to sort of push them onto greater things next year onwards. Mm. But I mean, at least think... it shows that there's some people kind of thinking sensibly for once there. Um, so you'd sort of hope if you're a Saint-Étienne fan that in the summer they'll carry on with their sensible policy, recruitment policy, and to, to sort of go on to the next level. Mm. I think, you know, the the thing with Obviously, Garcia's was a big change of style from uh, from what had come under Gaultier, and maybe it was a, a, a step too far for, for the players involved, and maybe Berich was sent out on loan because they, he didn't want that kind of striker. He wanted more kind of nippy whatever. Um, but actually, you know, Gasset, as you say, taking the sensible approach, it is a good idea if you're in a team that's struggling to have, you know, a central focal point who is going to outjump people, who is going to be a bit more maybe uh, kind of direct in, in his approach. So, you know, that was, again, a sensible decision. I mean, things like Ntep and, and Yan and Villa being brought in, 
you could say they were both risks given some kind of off-pitch things that have happened in the past, but that was, you know, quite a long time ago and they're both, you know, via a very solid player. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out the rest of the season. But yeah, that was, I think, one of the best windows maybe of uh, the French clubs that we've just seen. Mm. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with with everything said there. I think that they've, as you say, they've stabilised and uh, they're looking uh, fairly comfortable in terms of a mid-table finish at the least. Um, just a very quick question on Marseille, which I'll give to you, Phil. Um, I know it's hypothetical and we can't look into the future of crystal balls, but if Marseille do qualify for the Champions League, uh, which is a, a possibility at this stage, mm-hmm. how much surgery is that squad going to need in the summer to compete and even get out of the group stage? It's, ooh, that's an interesting one because it might be a squad depth issue. I mean, when I went to see them a couple of weeks ago, I think Sakai was playing left back because they didn't have a left back, which was kind of an odd situation that you'd have to move... They seem to be moving quite a few people around, uh, kind of around the central core, which is obviously, you know, Tovan, um, Gustavo. And you'd think they'd have to do something, but is it a case that, in a sense, lots of positions need to be bumped up a little bit or they need to focus on a couple of positions where they could make a big difference? With Steve Mandanda being out for, what is it, six weeks? He's going to miss both of the classics, I think. You know, obviously he is he is a very strong point for them. Um, they've got to decide... I think where they need to target the money and that might not be on the flashy positions. It might be on something a little bit more kind of prosaic um, just to make sure that, you know, they, they, they were ahead uh, against Saint-Étienne and then conceded, you know, they, they were, they were killing Mets off and then conceded those late goals. You know, the, it's either a concentration issue or it's a quality issue. They've got to do something about it either way at the back, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree with that. I, I, again, I know it's a hypothetical one, but much to look at um, come the summer, depending on what's available and, and what happens. But we'll um, we'll move move on from that game then. And uh, we wanted to touch a bit, sort of moving forwards, if you will, to the Sunday evening game. Uh, Jez, I'll come to you first on this one. Uh, Olympic Lyonnais, um, having a little bit of a time of it at the moment. Uh, coming into this game at home to Wren um, by uh, two straight defeats, it's now three straight defeats. And before Rich... Uh, gives us um, an absolute wax lyrical of how good Ren were. Um, I want to ask you your thoughts on Leon. What, what is going wrong? And I'm going to challenge you to answer that question without saying the words Bruno and Genesio. <laughs> good luck. I was worried there that you're going to challenge me to say it without mentioning Arsenal, because that was my <laughs> um, sad response. Um, I think the last couple of matches, they've been like Arsenal, very pretty football in the middle third dominating possession you haven't seen as much have you (laughs) pretty is not a word i'd use (laughs) 66 percent possession yes yeah no end product yeah and completely blunt i mean you know it's it's almost a carbon copy of of the monaco match where well apart from that one they scored but you know there they were two nil up 
other team a player down um another you know their the star player goes off injured second half Lyon had all I mean, almost all the possession 75 percent i think it hit at some something point. like that yeah yeah monaco i mean not only grabbed the rip with the win but actually had the, the other better chances of the half as well um so yeah with Lyon, it's um i mean first of all you mentioned it with marseille there's clearly there's it's still elements of the defense that are a bit dodgy and marcelo's header for for ren's first goal was horrific um and then further forward i think tussar's looking pretty tired i'm not sure genesio knows exactly what his his um Beep. best <laughs> um <laughs> thank you be- best front five or six are where best to play fekir how best to fit our in as well um i don't they all have had their flashes of brilliance but i still don't particularly rate Triore, I think he's been disappointing. Um, Depay or Cornet that highly. Um, De, I mean, Depay missed, I thought, a couple of, not sitters, but extremely makeable chances that he should have put away in the second half. And it leaves a lot of um, pressure, I think, on, on Diaz and Fakir. Um, they can't do it every week. Diaz seems to go from looking like just a fantastic footballer to a, a bit of a, a lump and I thought this match was one of his more lumpy days <laughs> and um, yeah Fe- Fekir just there seems to be so much um, sort of expectation on him to make all the running and all the chances and he he can't do that week in week out he can do it a hell of a lot of the time as he's proved um, this season and, and in the past but you know it's he looked frustrated, didn't he? He looked yeah. like he looked like a player who was almost sort of spoiling for a fight a little bit, like not literally, but metaphorically. He looked like a player who was wound up and, and was trying his best to drive a team on and looking at that team and going, but nothing's really happening. And, and yeah. where's I mean, the, the one, kind of situation? The one thing you have to say in terms of looking for a fight is if, he, if he'd been tempted, I'm not sure why he went after the linesman rather than the ref, <laughs> but you can certainly understand why he was a little bit annoyed. Oh, that yeah. I mean, it was a blatant most... penalty, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. His his reaction to being kind of pushed gently in the chest as to flutter <laughs> away was <laughs> the look on his face was absolutely. Don't you touch me? Yeah. It was basically what the fuck are you yeah. doing? Um, and you know he, but he did actually manage to keep his anger at least under control enough to... Did he got booked? Did he get booked? Traore got booked. I Traore, think. I th- yeah, I, I think did, for Keir did I think he well. did afterwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. he wasn't sent off, so, you know, well done uh, mm. on that one. Well, that's uh, that's the Leon perspective. Uh, Rich, uh, I, I feel like I don't really need to... Um, <laughs> Rich is just tangoing back into the room, having done a, you know, a, a, a four around the garden. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what I would say, Rich, is for all Leon's possession, we've just touched on it there with, with Jez, you know, it wasn't a lot of them product. I thought Rem were really impressive. I, I, I really, I'll be honest with you, I was quite surprised. Um, I had both teams to score in, in my bet, which failed miserably because I thought there'd be goals. But from the minute that first Wabi Kazri goal went in, and a lovely finish that was, there was a sense of control. Uh, there was some, some clever clever fouling here and there. There was a little bit of time wasting, a little bit of possession. 
good counter-attacks. I mean, I thought they could have scored more than they did, in, in truth. They had the opportunities. Is this a, a Redden side that you're sort of looking at, shaking your head, going, why can't they do this more consistently? Absolutely. Or is it... Is that, <laughs> that's the key, isn't it? It's the consistency. It is. It is. It's another... It's another false dawn, I fear, and and you know we all, all the Rem fans get excited. It's a brilliant win, you know, to win two 0 away at Lyon. Great result. Um, but as, I, as as I've said countless times before, we'll follow that up by losing at home to Angers or something like that, and it's something ridiculous. But it was a, it was a really organised performance. They went there with a clear game plan of we're going to be defensively resolute. We're, we're making sure that we're not going to. Um, fall apart and crumble. We're going to make things as difficult as possible for Leon. They were then gifted, absolutely gifted, mm. that opening goal within five minutes, which didn't really alter their game plan. Yeah. I think that you know, it was a, it was a nice bonus, um, and it, you know it, it gave them a, 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 the advantage that perhaps they didn't anticipate, but they didn't allow it to change their their, their game plan. They, they remained defensively very organised, very strong. Very fortuitous, yeah. It absolutely was a penalty. I can't, I can't say anything else. Um, final goal was just the, uh, you know, the classic, you know, home side pushing for an equaliser and the away side nicker uh, a very well taken um, counter attack goal. But it was a really organised performance. I thought the um, the sort of three main youngsters, if you like, in the team of Nyanyon, uh, Jeremy Jalan, and James Lear Saliki. Uh, I thought we had really excellent games uh, and I'm really, really hoping that we can keep hold of Nyanyon and Jalan as our defensive partnership for, you know, certainly the rest of this season and then then hopefully into into the seasons to come because they're two really, really top quality young defenders who, if they can play together week in, week out, can forge a really, really strong, strong partnership. So there's plenty of positives to take from this, but as ever with a Ren win, you know, you've you've got to make sure then that that's followed up with you know, with the the games to come against the quote unquote easier teams. Mm. Um, I've lost track of the amount of times that that's not been the case. So it's a great win for Ren, completely you know a real unexpected win. But let's not lose focus on the fact of this. This needs to be a regular thing, mm. um, which has always been their problem. I think yeah. um, just on the. Kind of the 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 opening goal was like you say handed to you on a plate. There's been um, I think Bertrand Latour, who's RTL and L'Equipe, has kind of tweeted angrily that Ren went out the strategy was which was to not play and it worked. And our good friend Bastian responded, "We were given, gifted a goal in the first five minutes. What do you expect us to do against away against a better team? Open up and play expansive football. You know, get, be realistic." Um, and what you saw obviously was that first goal was to a certain extent a gift. They pounced on it. They then didn't lose their heads. They stuck to the plan, knowing now they were in the driving seat and the second goal obviously was in injury time because Leon were pouring forward so much in desperation that one of those you know uh, forays that that Ren had back up the pitch worked and Leah Siliki got the got the second goal because one thing that surprised me was not the possession stats as I said it was 66 to Leon 33 to Ren it was Leon had 19 shots to six and I don't remember Quebec being that busy. And then you look at the on-target shots, which was six to three. I mean, they were 
skying things all over the place. And you thought, I think Tete put one in Rosette, um, Memphis, a couple of a couple of uh, difficult shots. Like you say, there was no end product. They were getting there, but it was the actual final hit that really was was not uh, not working out for them. And then Ren got them for the second time, uh, sort of pounced on them in the break. And there was a wonderful moment when um, um, Alfitano was brought on after the second goal, I think, in a blatant time-wasting sub. Uh, I think it was, he was on for Kasri. So Kasri takes his time going on. On Amalfitano apparently has never been on the pitch when Ren have won. He's absolutely killing himself laughing as he runs on the pitch because he knows exactly what his coach is doing. He knows exactly what is going on, and he has got no problem with that at all. It was think, a, think, a really kind of, um, you know, it was a very real politic performance from on many levels. It was, I think, it was his eighteenth outing, either from from uh, in the starting line or pull off the bench. And that's the first time mm-hmm. um, he's, he's left the pitch with, with three points. Yeah. Uh, there, was, there was that funny moment. There was also, um, to sum up Maxwell Cornet's evening, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> bursting into the box. This was after the Fekir penalty incident. Bertrand Traore racing into the box. Um, from the camera angle, it looked like there was a Ren player quite close by and Bertrand Traore goes to the death. There's, a, there's sort of a half-hearted little appeal, nothing too significant, very, very half-hearted, until replays show that it's Cornet who trips Bertrand Traore up quite blatantly. <laughs> it, it really did sum up Cornet's night because he also then missed pretty much an open goal um, in that second half as well. So it was very much the... The really frustrating, I and mean, we have seen this glimpses again this season of the excellent Maxwell Cornet, but too often. And again, Sunday evening, we saw the real frustrating Maxwell Cornet with a, a trip on his own player through on goal, summing it up, really. Mm. It was quite amusing, that wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was quite an amusing moment. But fair play to Ren, um, got the results, and that kit, I'm a big fan of that, by the way. I do like an all black kit, so full of praise for that one. Um, okay, that uh, leads us then into our third and final game, which is going to be a little bit brief because we're kind of going to tie Le Grand Debat into this um, as we talk a little PSG. Um, now, the results uh, that they got the weekend was a 1 0 victory away at Toulouse. Um, I don't I think many people didn't see that coming in terms of the results. Uh, PSG winning, maybe they thought might might have got a few more goals, and the fact it was an own goal from Issa Diop uh, may not have been on many people's scorecards, but. Uh, we saw a uh, full debut for Lasana Diara. Uh, we saw Lasalso and Rabio playing in those deep positions again. Kylian Mbappe was back. Uh, Neymar actually fancied a game, which was nice of him. Um, and uh, and we uh, didn't see any crazy uh, right backs in goal. So fairly straightforward, comfortable result. Um, Jez, so we're going to tie this into a, a sort of a Champions League preview as well because we want to talk about. Uh, Real Madrid, who hosts PSG tomorrow at time of recording. Um, what did you make of PSG in terms of this performance? And, and how do you see them going into this game with, with Real Madrid? Have they got to, we talked about this pre-pod, have they got to go after Real in this first leg and, and try and get, well, a sizable enough result to uh, make the second leg not Barcelona-y, shall we say? Uh, yeah, I, I think that... Um the state of the the PSG 
team or squad at the moment. Um, obviously not completely go crazy, but to me it really feels like for them at the moment attack is the best form of defence because as we've sort of covered several times throughout the season, I don't think that any of PSG's issues from the last year or two have been dealt with at all. Um, I mean, the only way that you could say they've been dealt with is that in bringing in players like Neymar and Mbappe, they're kind of saying, all right, you might concede six again, but at least we'll get the two away goals, the two goals that we need sort of thing. Um, I, I still think that there's a problem with the keeper. Um, I actually think Ariola is he's getting a lot of stick, but I think he's played a lot better in um, champion. I mean, that goes for quite a few players in the team, actually. But I think he's played better in Champions League than Liga. Um, I still think Alves, who I also think has played better in Champions League than Liga, looks quite past it. And if I was Tom Meunier, I'd be pretty pissed off mm-hmm. that I'm not getting closer to the starting lineup. Um, uh, I don't need to say what I think about Thiago Silva. I think we've probably covered that a few times. Oh, over go the years. on. <laughs> <laughs> um, apparently, there, were, there was an article in the last week or two about how um, Emery did consider stripping him of the captaincy in the summer. Um, I mean, he's not a captain, is he? Yeah. Um, I genuinely blame him as much as the referee or Neymar or anyone else for the for the Barcelona defeat last year. Um, left back, we still don't really know who the real starting left back is. I'd make it Bashish. I'm not mm. sure if, if he'll be starting. Um, and then, obviously, the very main problem position is um, defensive midfielder. And, you know, they've everyone sort of knew it, but it was, it was confirmed, I think, today that Mota definitely won't be able to play. So the choice is either um, Rabiot, who has made it clear he doesn't want to go there, and um, I was tweeting John Johnson Johnson about it uh, this week or last week, and he sort of half-joked that um, the only reason he's not playing there is because then he won't sign a new contract. Um, it's re- If that is the case, then both Rabiot and Emery are... Um, I think acting pretty negligently if they're supposed to be professional footballers or managers or Los Celso, who I don't think is a defensive midfielder and he's a fantastic attacking midfielder. So I think you're sort of penalizing yourself twice over or Diara, who is a decent defensive midfielder. Of course he is, but he's also been in semi-retirement for the last five years. And the fact that, Moneybags PSG have resorted to buying Diara in January is just to me it's just crazy on so many levels that they've got themselves into that situation where that was the move that they needed to make or the only one that they could make in in January. Mm. Um, so because we- of all those issues, I think that they yeah they sh- they need to go all out attack. I mean, it, at le- if nothing else, you know. Uh, I think a narrow defeat is fine. It's not an issue at all. They proved last year how formidable they can be against the top teams at the part the past. But you know they certainly need an away goal or two. Which and obviously with the forward forward players they've got, there's absolutely no reason why they can't do that. So I think they they need to sort of just front up to Real Madrid and say our attacking um, abilities certainly this season are at least if not better than um, at least as good if not better than yours. And let's both ignore our dodgy defences and just go at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, um, think 
I saw a, it was an interesting article out earlier today by our good friend Andrew Gibney uh, for Football Whispers, which was actually about uh, Giovanni Lo Celso, that no one in Ligue 1 wins more tackles than him, uh, which I kind of thought, what, at the beginning? Um, so, as Jess says, he, in a sense, his his impulse is to be attacking, but he clearly has the ability to do that more kind of down and dirty job. So maybe they get the best of both worlds if they play him back there, if nobody else wants to do it, other than Motta, who is possibly happily not available. If you can hear drumming in the background, I apologise. Carnival is happening in Gambetta. Um, so, <laughs> so I think, yes, it is as... Je- as Jess says, it's, it's got to be go for it because there are problems at the back. And in a sense, if you attack hard enough with those attackers they have, then, you know, maybe Real don't get the chance to test that out, which would always, of course, be be the problem. What um, I think some very very salient points there. We could go into so many so many different ones, but I want to, um, Rich, I want to sort of ask you from your perspective what you think PSG have learned from last season I, I know Barcelona is very different to Real Madrid I know they're in the same country and same league etc but they are a very different type of side um, you know Zidane is for all his wonderful playing career managerially the tactics do seem to be uh, oh lovely events has just scored happy days um, they, they do seem to be a a team that is, is kind of just thrown out there. Is that fair? I mean, I, I don't want to be really harsh on Zidane, but it does seem to be pick the team and you can just go and do it. D- did PSG have to look back at last season and say to themselves, look, look at what we threw away. We have to learn these lessons. Because I don't even think we, we thought Emery would be here, but he is. So he's got to take that into this, into this tie, surely. Uh, I think the thing that's changed um, in, in PSG's favour, I think, has been perhaps their attitude to the domestic league. I think there's a bit of complacency. I think the last couple of seasons have, drift, have creeped into their play um, in the league because they knew they were just gonna. They knew they were going to win, and why bother trying if you knew you were going to win? Um, and we, that's where we saw. I mean, I would argue that the performance against Toulouse was very much a last season's PSG performance where they've made it a lot harder than it perhaps should have been. Um, you know, it was only a 1-0 win. Um, it, could easily, it could easily have, have you know, resulted in drop points, that, that kind of performance. Yes, they were strong. Yes, they had chances, but didn't seem to have that edge to, to finish teams off. Whereas I think the vast majority of games we've seen this season, they've kept their foot down. And, and they've, they've actually got out of second gear and they've got close to top gear for most of the games and for most of the duration of those games as well, which is why we're seeing, you know, four goals, six goals, eight goals scored, you know, almost on a regular basis now by this team. So I think by, by putting in those kind of performances, they're ensuring that as many players as possible are confident, are in a winning side, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a winning side that are winning, um, in a manner which I think befits this PSG team. They're putting teams to the sword. We know that they, they should be doing this and they should have been doing this for the last four or five seasons. 
I think it's only really this season that we're starting to see it. So I think all of that leads to a, a better frame of mind going into a game like this. Obviously, compared to last year, they've now got Neymar, they've now got Mbappe. I think it's safe to say that they've improved probably any side. Um, I think the only thing that could count against them, whether Neymar's that kind of player or not, I don't know, is this is the first game for the Neymar era PSG. You know, he wanted to break out from that Barcelona team to have a team that was his team. that would eventually lead to him winning the Ballon d'Or. Well, this is the first huge opportunity he has to show the global stage. You know, look, we're, we're coming to t- you know, my PSG are coming to town, and we're going to show you that we are serious Champions League contenders. Mm. Now, whether Neymar's the kind of player where that situation may cause him to freeze a little bit or underperform a little bit, I doubt that he's that kind of player. I think he seems to thrive on these bigger occasions. Um, but it's, it's whether that perhaps can cause a little bit of tenseness. But I think what, what has changed and certainly why I don't see a repeat of the Barcelona second leg kind of performance is they, are take, they seem to be taking the league a bit more seriously. So I'm not, I, I don't know if I'd agree with that. I think they're taking it as unseriously. I'm sure there's a better mm. word than that. Because <laughs> in the past, um, I think Neymar definitely che- picks and chooses his matches. I think yeah. Alves certainly is. For me, the, the main difference is that um, the two of them um, have proved before that they, you know, they can do it. The, you know, Barcelona, they didn't, um, didn't necessarily need to turn it on every single week. But in Champions League, generally, they, 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 they were there. They were sort of at the top of their game. Um, so, and I think that's rubbing off on other players as well. I mean, talked before about, for example, how, how good Rabiot is in combination with Neymar. And um, I think it has given the rest of the team a lift. With Neymar, I, I, and for that reason, on, based on what you said about Neymar, I think he'll probably be okay because absolutely this is the match that he signed for PSG for, the kind of match, you know, to show not only am I not in Messi's shadow anymore, I'm also better than Ronaldo now. And my concern with him would be not so much him freezing, but him trying too much to run the show. Yep. There's already been quite a few examples during the season of him being spectacularly selfish. And fine, a lot of the time you can get away with it because he's so good that he'll, he'll, you know, he'll pull off whatever he's trying. But um, if anything is uh, sort of proves to be his downfall, that's what I think it might be. Mm-hmm. And we've got the the other situation. I mean, Richard Emery's trying to get as many players as happy as possible. What's still going to be frustrating some other kind of died in the wall PSG fans is that hasn't involved getting any new players through through from the academy. You look at Christopher and Kunku, who's played two and a half hours over the season so far. They're fighting on four fronts. I mean, he, there is the opportunity in league aren't to give to give him more time and Stanley and Socky is the the other one who's um kind of got some minutes but i don't think he's last, he's made an hour so far so you've got they've got such a a squad full that when they play a b team you're still counting 100 not international caps but the in a sense the, the the kind of the heart coming through. Who is the next Kimpembe? Who is the next Rabio? It's it seems a very long way off there. So maybe they're making a rod for their own back there because they do have the opportunity to 
maybe take their foot off the gas a bit in the league to try some of these young players who are also excellent and would, I'm sure, be excellent uh, mixed in amongst those those international caps. Mm. It's going to be a... Sorry, go on now. Go on, Jess. No, I was going to say that I, um, on on that kind of point, I, I was following a conversation a couple of weeks ago between um, a PSG fan and I think it was a Marseille fan a similar kind of thing with a Marseille fan criticizing PSG for getting rid of all their youngsters. Mm-hmm. And the PSG fan was essentially saying that they're doing the same as any of the other top clubs. And that um, if they start with Rabiot, Ariolo, and Kimpembe, not, you know, they probably won't start with Kimpembe, but three sort of home, all right, Rabiot isn't yep. exactly homegrown, but three homegrown um, uh, players starting actually isn't bad going. But I agree that they should. That's be a good point. Play, playing the younger it's players, the in next the league. guys, yeah. That um, yeah. You know, but then like you know, like anyone else, they could say, well, we'll we can't be saying that other... in five years' time. You know, oh yeah, Kimpembe's our starting centre back. We've not yeah, got yeah, but a they, team they, problem. You know, it's... they could say, well, we'll just wait for Monaco to find another Neymar or Lyon to find another whoever, and we'll just nick them off them the same way Bayern do. Mm. I don't, I'm it's... just playing devil's advocate I, yeah. you know you know that i don't agree with that and they should be bringing through youth but the weird thing is that they're all sort of swapping their youth around you know the ones that yes. are tired of not getting a chance at psg uh signing for man city or bayern or whatever are they going to get any more chances there? well i was going to say the next the next kim kimpembe was it was that guy that um when dormant you know mm. he seemed to have um found life in the Bundesliga pretty easy so far so they, they, they've done it too many times and Jez as you were alluding to that it's not a policy that particularly interests them or that they need to focus on yeah there's going to be a, a hardcore group of fans that are going to want to see homegrown players brought through the youth system but why bother ultimately if you can just sign a you know a 30 million pound 40 50 million pound defender why bother you know, that can bring you some instant success. Why bother nurturing a 17-year-old through the youth system and and sort of plug him in, plugging him into the team and and bringing him through it? It, it sadly, and and yeah, I'm with you. I don't agree with it, but it's sadly a model that they don't need to. They don't need it. You know, yeah, I mean, it's like all the big teams, teams like you know Leon and others who do have that reliance and that celebration of their academy system. Yeah, it is. It's a different model. Um, And the thing is, it's a model that you normally rely on when you don't have any money. The fact that Leon are still doing it when they do probably have, obviously not as much as PSG, but a decent wedge available. That is, to me, strikes me as a good balance because at the end of the day, it's actually a cost saving uh, model as well, which is, you know, got to be useful. Um, Which they could do with at the moment as well if they're re- having to resort to signing a sign of Diara. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a, some very good points well made. I, I'm going to do something I don't normally do, but I'm going to ask you all for a prediction for the first leg because I'm intrigued as to how you all feel about this. Um, Phil, do you have a, a score prediction for this? 3 first? 3. Oh, go on. <laughs> What the hell is It's Valentine's. We're going to be in with chocolates, wine, crisps. Yeah, make it a good one. 3-3. Three, three. Some of us are not even going to be able to watch this game, but I won't go into details. Uh, this is why the single life is wonderful. 
I'll, I'm, I'm going to have to touch on mine later, but go on, <laughs> Rich. What do you reckon? Um, I'd I'd agree with uh, with Phil. It's going to be a, I think it's going to be a score draw. So I'll go two two. Mm. And Jez, I I think Real will win this, but I do think PSG will sneak through overall. So I'm trying to work backwards <laughs> pick a score based on that prediction so i'll go three two right now okay. i'm going i'm going four two psg i'm going really big um i think this i cannot see when anyway. this ends up being nil nil we are gonna get so oh. much shit aren't we just and and i i have to confess uh, as you rightly say it's valentine's day uh and at 35 years of age i am going speed dating for the very first time so uh, oh good luck pat so, so there you go. Um, so think of me, uh, and, and my opening line on my very first date will be, do you realise what I'm missing to be here no, no, tonight? No. <laughs> Just no, ask be... for their prediction. <laughs> yeah. have, you, have you seen the PSG score? As, yes. That's, that's <laughs> going to filter it I, down. I, I'd, go, go, I'd, I'd go with, should, you, should PSG start with the R or the Celso? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or are you a fan of Di Maria? I mean, that's quite sort of topical, isn't it, in terms of uh, his yeah, name? Yeah, but then so. someone's going to think you mean musicals. And oh, yeah. Oh, that could end really bad. Really, really <laughs> awkward second date. Yes, absolutely. What, so, what, um, do, you, what do you think of P- PSG's uh, transfer policy and how that impacts Are you a fan of Qatari-owned clubs? Yeah. Um, it won't end just, well. So. Just say three words, Kazara or Bashish. <laughs> I think I'd be escorted from the building. Um, so, uh, ladies, form an orderly queue if you're listening to this. Uh, I'm free and available. Um, let's <laughs> let's move away from my love life very quickly because uh, there's not a lot to discuss there. But let's um, briefly touch on the Europa League before we take a couple of questions. In fact, one of the questions we've got this week kind of uh, blends into that, does it not, Rich? I think you've got the question. Is it from Eric, I think? Uh, it is from Eric, yeah, and it just touches on uh, Monaco... Uh, sorry, not Monaco. Marseille, Lyon, and and Nice, who still have a, an outsider's chance of a top six spot. Um, it's whether those certainly the, the the former two have the depth to compete in both Europe and domestically in their sort of race for finishing as high as possible. Uh, and out of the competitions that they're still in, which which should they be focusing on? Hmm. It's a tough one, isn't it, Jazz? What, what do you, what do you think? Because I've got, I've got a, a little bit of a vested interest in Europa League, particularly the favourites, which I may touch on in a minute. But what do you think of those three clubs involved in Europe? I mean, should Favor- they be favourites and Arsenal? Yeah, yes, thank you, uh, <laughs> thank you again. <laughs> which, which of those clubs? I mean, should should the three French clubs be targeting uh, Europa League now? I mean, is uh, is it? I don't, I don't like this making a choice. As far as I'm concerned, all three of them should be going all out in both competitions for the moment. They mm. must say, certainly, um, yes, they've got problems in defence, but they have got a lot of talent going forwards. And again, it's this whole okay, they're fighting for Champions League, so there's bigger stakes, but. Um, the idea of sort of um, chucking Europe in order con- to concentrate on qualifying for Europe so that they can chuck it again next year. I just, I don't, it, it winds um, me up every single year. Did somebody mention Arsenal there? <laughs> can we just yes. not mention Arsenal? That would be really nice if we could. <laughs> I take your point, but we, I, well, think, I suppose we... You know, look at, 
all three of them have got decent draws. Lyon arguably would have the best case in theory for for chucking it because they've got the hardest draw and they're after their last three results are sort of struggling now for, for Champions League. But they've got the huge incentive of the final being played in their home stadium. So I think they should be going all out. I think Marseille have got no excuse for going all out, certainly against a, a beatable team like um, Braga. Braga. They've got Braga. Um, and, you know, they're in, they're in a good position in the league. They've got a lot of um, forward players in a lot of good form. And Nice... I mean, why not? They're, the best they're going to get this year is another Europa League place. So at least prove that Europe, being in the Europa League means something to them. Mm. Um, I, I, I never buy this picking one or the other. Yeah. yeah. I think the, the one thing I would probably put in to, for Marseille, I'm not saying that Lyon don't need it, but if Marseille can get second, uh, and with that comes the possibility then of... of um, uh, and with that, sorry, doesn't come with with that comes Champions League football, and with the sort of ambitious project that they've got going on down there. If they can then chuck in Champions League football, I, I'm not, I'm under no illusions that Marseille are not going to win the Europa League. I'm happy to go on record saying that. Um, <laughs> it's be nice. Yeah, I'm quite pleased. I'm going to get a break <laughs> from Marseille fans this week. <laughs> well, I've been very, I've been, you know what, I've been, I've been full of praise of Marseille lately. So back to reality I think but um, I think if Marseille can go into the summer with Champions League football on offer and that bit of cash as well that they will have you know all of a sudden you know it makes what they could achieve next season perhaps you know better than than they perhaps were going to have hoped for this season so um, maybe Marseille could do with focusing ever so slightly more on the league but the thing is, they're, they're also, we've got the Coupe de France quarterfinals coming up at the end of the month. OM and OL are still both in them. OM are playing PSG. OL are playing Con. I think OM, and that's what, three days after they're at PSG in the league as well. Go for the Europa League. So that would be my thing. Um, of those three competitions, which one matters? least is a really tricky call but it's going to be one of the knockout competitions if you're going to make a, a choice um, it will be the league plus one cup so pick a cup well the Marseille are also now coming into a run of games which will it's a bit of a cliche I know will define their season they've got the, mm. the, the two legs against Braga they're sandwiched well, in between that they're at home to, to Bordeaux They've then got away, away at PSG in the league, away at PSG in the, the Coupe de France, and then at home to Nantes. It, you know, if they can come out of that and still be fighting on at least two fronts, then I think yeah, they'll have done very, very point. well. League plus one. It has got to be the minimum. If they can do all three, brilliant. But something, given what we discussed about the squad depth earlier, will probably have to go somewhere. That's going to be a judgment call. Mm. Agreed, agreed. And, and for those who who don't know, um, I think we have mentioned them all, but Marseille uh, faced Braga, uh, Nice away at Locomotive Moscow, and uh, Olympic Lyonnais away at Villarreal, which is probably the toughest of the three ties. Um, just a, a, a quick subplot to chuck on the end of that as well, um, or my thoughts on it, is that the three uh, quote-unquote favourites, apparently, Atletico Madrid, Arsenal and Napoli, 
Uh, all three of their coaches have come out in recent days and said the Europa League is not the priority and that they need to be fighting in their respective leagues. Um, Richard Sarri was saying Napoli uh, fully focused on the Serie A title. Diego Simeone wants Atletico to push Barcelona as far as they can in La Liga. Uh, and Arsene Wenger is, is just doing what Arsene does. Um, See, Na- Nap- of those three, Napoli, fair enough. Yeah. But the other two, again, I just don't get it. It's not, and no, especially Arsenal, because it doesn't look like they're going to qualify for Champions League. Well, I, I, dis- I disagree with the pundits who are stating that, that a club sort of of Arsenal's position can't get in the top four when we're in the second week of February. I think that's a bit presumptuous. But I do take your point that the best opportunity surely is Europe for a club of that size. So um, I, think, I think they'd have better chances, especially now Lacazette's for a while, mm. out for a while. If they had... Um, decent striker, maybe a sort of tall, bearded, good-looking French one who <laughs> never yes. sulks, who Please. performs really Shit. well even when oh. he's chucked off the bench. Then I think I'm quite well. My heart hurts. Be? I had to watch it last night as he got kicked up in the air wearing that horrible kit and, oh, God, it hurt. But, um, By the way, the amount of schadenfreude on Twitter laughing at him having to put a bandage on, uh-huh. there's a hell of a lot of jealous people around <laughs> There is, massively, yeah. Well, people have always been jealous. He's a handsome young devil. But um, just quickly, just before we take the, the other question we had, I just want to chuck in a sub-question here. Uh, who shall I pick on? Rich, you can have this one. Um, the Lacazette news that came out today, uh, he's likely to miss four to six weeks. Uh, thank you, motorbike, going past there. Four to six weeks um, of the season now with a, a knee problem. Uh, it's described as a procedure that he needs to undertake. Um I never quite feel comfortable when things are just classed as procedures because it doesn't really say a lot. He's clearly been out of form recently. He's not looked himself for a a while. The the talk is the injury was actually there pre-Christmas and he's played sort of through it in the absence of any other fit and firing centre forward for Arsenal, particularly when Giroud was injured. Does this potentially put his World Cup place in jeopardy? I mean, we are 13th of February, you know, four to six weeks usually ends up being six to eight. It doesn't give him a lot of time, particularly when he may not get games with Aubameyang signing for Arsenal now. So does that put pressure on him to, to get back as quickly as possible and, and get back into that starting lineup? Uh, in one word, yes. Uh, it, really, it really does. Um, you know, his, his place in the squad was always under scrutiny because it's clear that, that Deschamps has this sort of almost love-hate relationship with him. Um, He's not. He's not going to be getting the game. Well, he has. He's been struggling to get the game time um, of of recent times. He's not going to have the game time now for the next month and a half at least. Um, I think this really does jeopardise his his uh, his his potential spot at the World Cup. Um, does maybe in a sense that there's implications that he could have held on a bit longer, but it's been decided to do it now. Was that because he thought, well, I'm not going to hang on because mm. Arsenal are being, you know, whatever, do it now to give myself the best possible chance to recover and come back for, for oh, the I, World Cup. I've, I've no doubt that that's what's on his mind. Mm. It's just unfortunate that I don't think it's going to play out in his yeah. favour because, you know, they, they sh- he was not an automatic pick anyway. Um, although he's, you know, the opportunities that he's had for France of, of recently, uh, recent times, he's shown glimpses of what he can do um, but I, I get why he's done it now and why he's not not held off but unfortunately for him I don't think 
I don't think he could, he could have held off. It still wouldn't have been the right time even to have held off. Because yeah, but he still it, probably wouldn't be playing. In a sense, he couldn't have done it earlier because he had the chance to be, you know, the starter when Giroud was injured. He had to be there to battle against Aubameyang when he, when he turned up to kind of not to 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 make his presence felt. It was, must have been a, a very difficult situation for him, and we can see obviously you know, from you know the look on his face often when subbed on, subbed off, whatever is. He doesn't he's seem the, to be in a good place right now, and a, we he, need him in a good place for 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 the World Cup. His other problem, I think, is Giroud has. And Chris will hate me saying this, but Giroud has made a brilliant move. Mm, um, I think I think it's going to be a move that's going to you know. There were there were rumours that he was being told, "Look, move or you ain't going to the World Cup," and he's responded. It was obviously a tough decision for him. Um, and that's presuming that he had a bit of a say in it. Um, but I think actually it could turn out to be a really, really good move. That move, I don't think Conte has the biggest of confidence in in Murata. Um Clearly saw something in Giroud that he didn't want to get from from Batshuayi. I know they're different style of players, but shit Batshuayi out. Um, so I think actually this this the moves that happened in the summer, Barryan coming in, but especially Giroud moving to Chelsea. Um, to then cap it off then with this six minimum of six weeks out, I think he's in real, real danger of missing out. Yeah, there was a very good article by, there was always a very good article when it's Andy Brassel that wrote it, but it was yeah. for a betting site, I can't remember which one, maybe Betfair. I um, read this, yeah. It was general. I mean, the main gist of the article was um, talking about um, Griezmann's very good form, but it sort of also implied that kind of how unlucky Lacazette has been in that it looked like he was all set to join um well sorry just distracted by a brilliant save um (laughs) by Buffon um how Lacazette was all set to sign for Atletico Madrid before they had the transfer ban um so you know if he'd had a whole season playing alongside Griezmann and that had gone well that could have cemented his his World Cup place or even you know World Cup starting place and the two of them together instead because he's missed out on that he struggled at Arsenal Griezmann's now playing well with a big guy Diego Costa next to him so if Giroud plays well at Chelsea that you know probably strengthens his position as the foil for Griezmann and it's kind of like everything that could have gone wrong everywhere around Europe for Lacazette kind of has done this year unfortunately. Mm. That that article, by the way, if you want to read it, it's on and at Andy Brassel. It's for Betfair Exchange, um, which you can read. Um, and um, you heard it here first. I've got it on very very good authority. Although this won't be breaking news, but um, that's from somebody very well placed in the Barcelona sources that uh, Antoine Griezmann has has basically signed for Barcelona next season already. So it does make you wonder if they might revisit the Lacazette uh, situation if he's still not being first choice at Arsenal, which would naturally break my heart. But, you know, we shall see. Um, but yes, that's a, an interesting one. Um, we'll finish with one other question then, which I think we had. Um, Rich, what was the other question we had come in? Um, I think it's probably one for, for you three to get your teeth stuck into. Uh, it's from our uh, regular friend, Neil Thomas, at Weiss, Weissafman. Uh, if Angers brought back... Um, 
Dore from live from online. Is this the end times for us in Liga? Well, um, uh, anybody wants to chime in? Well, it's still not looking great for for, for Angers, is it? Um, it's still drawing as many games as Montpellier, but. Montpellier up the top end of the table because if they don't draw, they win. Whereas Angers down the bottom of the table because if they don't draw, they lose. Um, and we said at the beginning of the season that it looked like, you know, they were trying to play a bit more of an attacking vim and, you know, good for them and whatever. And things have just gone a bit strange. I mean, Crivelli's now, is it a loan deal that he's gone to Kong? Yeah, um, that seemed like. I mean, I know he wasn't pulling up any trees, but when you're not doing that well, it would seem sensible to keep options around. Um, their defence has been basically what's gone for Burton, which um, in that brilliant first season when they came up after promotion, they got up into the top half by having a defence which was just a you shall not pass kind of situation, and now they're. It's it's not great. Um, so they're playing, uh, they're hosting Saint-Étienne at the weekend. If Saint-Étienne's revival continues, this could pile more misery on, on Angers. Um, and given that Metz and Troyes are playing each other, there's the possibility that somebody could kind of hop up uh, down in, in that neck of the woods. It isn't looking good, I think, is the, uh, is the conservative um kind of assessment of that I think I wouldn't read too much into the the recall of Dore I mean it makes sense if you send a striker out on loan to, to bring another striker in as cover um, by the way in terms of Crivelli what I find weird is I can understand why he wanted to leave if he's been sort of frozen out by a relatively similar player in Tokoe Kambi but then why go to Caen to be playing alongside an even more similar player in Santini. Um, but, yeah, Doré aside, I think Angers are in a little bit of trouble, um, sort of slipping down, down the table. Most teams above them, I think, you know, Mess are in a mess, but Toi, Angers, Amiens, you feel like everyone above them, Toulouse have had their little jump, unless they slip again. I think Lille are going to be okay now. So it all... <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if the current bottom four, not necessarily in that order, but are the bottom four at the end of the season. Um, yeah. And Angers certainly going backwards. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is one that's, uh, there's a few clubs, isn't there? All of a sudden they're just looking over the shoulder a bit now and you do wonder what, what the future holds. Um, one final question from me before we wrap up the show, just by looking at the games we're going to focus on for next week. But um, Rich, it's just a very quick one from me to you. Um, um, and it concerns one of the players you've mentioned earlier on. It's just a, a question I have. Um, Joris Yangon at, at Rennes. Um, it's a straightforward question with probably a difficult answer attached. But is he or does he have the potential to be the next sort of Umtiti style player? And what I mean by that is a player with so much potential that one of the bigger boys in Europe will come sniffing and take a gamble on how good he could be. Uh, I think he will end. Up, I think he will end up at a very very big club. Um, I think the attitude that he's shown on the pitch the style of play that he has, the talent he has, 
is very clear to see. I think he's had a bit of a rough patch of late, um, but I think the last couple of weeks we've seen him return to form. So as unbiased as I can be, yes, I think he will end up at a very big club. I don't think that will be his next move. I certainly wouldn't have it as his as the move I would recommend him either. But yes, he, he is a very, very talented player um, and will be destined for a very big club. Good. I'm glad we think alike. Happy with that. Splendid. OK, uh, we will wrap the show then by uh, just looking ahead to next week. And I think we picked out probably three games to keep an eye on next week. Couldn't separate it too much. So we're looking at the, the Sunday game, Marseille-Bordeaux. Should be worth a watch. Uh, Lille-Lyon is the uh, four o'clock game on the Sunday. Also probably worth a watch. Uh, and I think we all agree that uh, Trois Metz has got quite a big amount attached to it on the Saturday evening as well. Uh, nice Nantes maybe is one for the purists if you want uh, a fourth option but uh, they're the games we're looking ahead to uh, next week um, okay and Phil as you mentioned Coupe de France quarterfinal stage is it next? Yeah, quarterfinals is at the end of the month on the 27th and the 28th we've still got two third tier teams in it Les Herbiers, uh absolutely hammered uh, Ligue 2's Auxerre 3-0 which was kind away of unexpected. Well, yeah, it? away. And they will be welcoming Lens, who slightly less surprisingly beat uh, Troyes 1-0. Uh, but we've also got Chambly, who, in a sense, mm. they've kind of been pitched as the bad guys because they did knock out the fourth-tier Granville, who are favourites of ours. But I'm sure Granville will be back next year. But Chambly are through to the quarterfinals for the first time in their history. So it is great to see them there. And they're going to be playing Strasbourg, which you have to say is a is a is a, a doable a doable fixture, possibly. So uh, we've also got Caen uh, playing OL and, yes, the classic PSG-OM three days after they meet in the league, which could mean that there's a massive hangover of whatever emotional uh, impact there is from the, the league result, but whatever. So I think we're going to be cheering on Les Herbiers and Chambly um, for the, the quarterfinals, which will be at the end of the month. A very quick heads up as well, talking of uh, PSG, I'm in the league. Weirdly, um, on the same day, there's, I think, uh, Lyon Saint-Étienne in the afternoon and... PSG Marseille in the evening so don't make any plans <laughs> oh that's you know, a, even that, if the speed dating goes well keep that yeah, that's, free that's buy crisps and, and, and plan an evening in so yes well, uh, assuming I don't scare everybody off uh, or indeed um, find the future ex Mrs. Carpenter tomorrow night, we will be back uh, uh, next, this time next week to oh, discuss. Can I, can I just jump in with one final thing as well? Of course you can, Rich. Purely because it was probably my favourite thing from the whole weekend was Toulouse's troll cam. Oh my God, uh, I haven't was, seen this. If, if you haven't seen it, it is. If you can imagine. This is a social a, media a, team earning their money. If you can imagine really a, a, a sort of piss-taking version of the kiss cam, you've sort of along those lines of the camera panning round to these various friends, and they're pretty much all. I think they were all PSG fans. No, they, they pointed this thing at the away section, <laughs> um, and, and, and they they then brought up these brilliant captions. For these. So there was things like, you know, bringing up this this this, this PSG fan of. 
Um, never set foot in the Parc de Prince. We'll turn up next week when Marseille come to town wearing a Paillet shirt. I think one of my favourite <laughs> one of my favourites was was a Lyon fan in two thousand. Yeah. My absolute favourite one, which I think was the last one they did. After all these pictures, all these PSG fans and these captions, they just brought up a picture of Lasana Diara. <laughs> yeah it was it was cracking work i mean you look at the oh the the major twitter feeds of certain clubs sniping at each other like they're kind of betting firms um, this this was genuinely quite funny i think one other thing we ought to mention um from the from a weekend which saw uh some empty stands um and some crowd trouble, whatever, was at Nantes. There was a really, really uh, wonderful banner, uh, which basically said, you know, we support the teams, you close the stands, you know, and do you just not have a problem with football? Um, And making uh, a big point against some of the more egregious and heavy-handed rules that have been attempted to brought in recently. Some of them have been knocked down, some of them are continuing. Travelling fans particularly are still in a big bind actually trying to see their clubs and it's becoming even more difficult to to go to the the stadiums and uh, get the atmosphere together that is such a big part of, of the game traditionally. So the Nantes banner We'll we'll tweet out the picture again afterwards. Was a, a kind of a very pointed uh, comeback to some of the uh, decisions from the authorities recently about how fans should be treated. Mm, yeah, and indeed, as you say, fans should be treated with respect because at the end of the day, they are the lifeblood of the game. Um, so um, there you go. Okay, well that's that's it for for us fans for this week. As I say, keep it tuned to the French Football Weekly stream, if you will. That be our Twitter feed or SoundCloud or wherever you get our lovely material. Of course, the website is open for you all to have a look through the new articles and such as well. So keep doing that. Uh, if you've got any questions or queries, ping them our way. And if we don't know the answers, we'll lie. So uh, until this time next week. Uh, my thanks to Phil, to Rich, and to Jez. Amazingly, I got everyone's name right for once. Uh, until next week, thank you for tuning in. Enjoy your French football, and we'll speak to you again soon. <laughs>